0: Warning, the following podcast contains explicit language, because implicit language can go fuck itself.
1: This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Blue Apron, and by the law firm of Michael Cohen. Nobody will ever know you're a big smelly third. And now, The Scathing Atheist. I'm Crazy Zach from the Crazy Zach YouTube channel. That's crazy with a four instead of an A, and Zach with an H instead of a K. Me and my buddy Cody, who helped me leave my cult, went to the zoo the other day. We saw a monkey stick his finger in his ass and smell it. And I do the same thing, which led us to the conclusion that we did in fact evolve from Filthy Monkey Men. (laughs) It's April 19th. And just to be clear, we know who our lawyer is. (laughs) So do you. (laughs) I've no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from New York, New York, Secret Lair, Pennsylvania, this is Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, the Mormons introduce the world to their black friend. (laughs) We
2: learn on Infowars that Alex Jones invented the clitoris in 1988. And Chris Matheson will be here to suggest the Bible, Quran, and Book of Mormon might just be bullshit. But first, the diatribe. Psalm 14 tells us, quote, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God, end quote. It then goes on to say that we nonbelievers are corrupt, have done abominable works, and that none of us doeth good. It even implies we eat people. And boy, don't those bitchy Christians love to remind us of that particular psalm. Because if anything going to convince us that the Bible really is true, it's the fact that it says we're assholes. Now, I've talked about this on the show before, of course, and I've admitted that it is true that only a fool says in his heart that there is no God, but it really wouldn't matter what he was saying. I mean, if he's talking into his own heart, that's some foolish shit. As to us not do a thing any good, well, that depends on who you compare us to. I mean, if we get to square off against Catholics, just not funding an international child rape cabal puts us firmly in the lead. But I find this passage interesting not for its argumentation or for its defamation, rather I find it interesting because it reminds us that even before we had fancy telescopes and interferometers, before we had the theory of evolution or the Big Bang, before we had explored the depths of the ocean or traveled far enough to capture the entire planet in a single gaze, people were already calling bullshit on God. I mean, we tend to think of the olden days as being crazy religious, but that's not entirely accurate. I mean, sure, there were times when some places were crazy religious, just like some places are crazy religious now and we're more secular than we've ever been before. But this monolithic view many of us have of the whole of human history being populated by firm God-believing zealots is obviously wrong. Otherwise, they wouldn't feel the need to address it in 5th century BCE. Well, I, well, to be fair, I guess the same book tells you what to do if you come across witches or seven-headed dragons. So that, that's not exactly a concrete argument. But still, the fact that holy books in, in general, several of them, obsess over non believers not just people who deny their particular breed of God, but those who deny the existence of gods altogether is pretty strong evidence that we've always been there. And, and consider the wording of that particular psalm. I mean, I make jokes about the say into your hardship, but that's more than just an easy setup for future blasphemers because they're very clearly not talking about me. They aren't talking about the guy who goes out publicly and says, hey, this God stuff is bullshit. They're talking about people who say it in their hearts, people who might profess to God belief in the temple, but in their hearts know it isn't true. And let me defend that a little, too, because the instinct of the modern person bathed as we are in our overgeneralizations of history is to think that people like us couldn't have existed back in the day. You You think, well, yeah, but people weren't exactly allowed to walk around ancient Babylon and do diatribes, but that's not necessarily true. Most ancient cultures were pretty hands-off when it came to religion. There might be like a, a titular god that's off limits, and you might be required to make certain sacrifices at certain times of the year, but through most of human history, just disagreeing with religious teachings wasn't the kind of thing that got you in a lot of trouble. And even in the most religious times and places in history, we still find stark evidence of disbelief right to the very top. I mean, all those mad fucky popes in the 15th century clearly didn't believe the shit they were selling, Right. And if you really thought this book of yours was chock full of divine wisdom and moral teachings, why the fuck wouldn't you want it translated into the vernacular? Hell, in a lot of ways, the non-existence of God is built into the business plan. You think about all that trial by ordeal shit they were doing back in the medieval days, right? The idea was to put justice in the hands of God. But since they knew God wasn't going to show up, they rigged the game. Like, whatever, you got a guy accused of theft. He says he didn't do it. There were no witnesses. We don't have forensics and video surveillance back then. So when it couldn't pin down a dude's guilt, they give him trial by ordeal. Something like, you know, reach into this pot of boiling water and retrieve the stone. If you're innocent, God will protect you. If you're guilty, God will burn your hand. Now, we hear about that shit today and we liken it to the shit where they drown women to see if they were witches. But if you're rigging the game, that's actually a pretty good system, right? I mean, assuming the accused person believes what you're saying, you've got them hemmed in. Imagine you got like a little contraption blowing bubbles into the pot or something, make it look like it's boiling when it isn't. So the innocent man says, well, hey, God's going to protect me. I know I'm innocent. I'm fine. He reaches in, gets the stone. Nobody punishes him. Guilty guy says, fuck this. I don't want to burn my hand. He won't reach into the pot. You've got it. You solved your problem. And not only do do you solve the justice issue, but anybody who witnesses it thinks they just saw a miracle when they really just saw a magic trick. And that's a clever solution. They did a whole bit about it on Freakonomics, but it's a solution that you can only employ if you know going in that God is bullshit. You have to know that you're lying to even think of that idea. What's more, it probably led to a lot of folks who weren't in on the secret, scalding the fuck out of innocent people before punishing them for shit that they didn't do. Uh, so, you know, it's got its flaws. But the point is that it's just further evidence of this tacit understanding in the early church that they were telling lies. So, yeah, there have always been doubters infecting their congregations, attending the services so that the townsfolks would see them there, you know, singing the praises, saying the prayers, being pious and saying in their heart the whole time that there is no God. Of course, those people are still there by the hundreds, by the thousands, and probably by the hundreds of thousands. People have all these intellectual advantages over their ancestral doubters, living in an era that's already answered all the questions that drove people into religion in the first place, burdened by mountains of evidence and logic against God, and still dragging themselves to church every day so that their peers will see them feigning piety. And I get that some people are trapped there. You know, some people's businesses depend on it. Some people's marriages depend on it. If you're in the wrong part of the world, some people's lives depend on it. But that's not everybody. That's not all of them. Some people are trapping themselves there, desperately clinging to that ephemeral peace that religion brought them as a kid or hiding from their mortality behind a pew, just going through the motions and pretending to believe in a God that they gave up a long time ago. And, and, and I don't agree with the Bible very often. But in this instance, you know what? We're of one mind. It's more than just a joke. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, because if he was wiser, he'd be screaming it from the rooftops. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight, our fellow Pulitzer snubs Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, ready to get to work on that hip hop album of ours? <laughs> oh yeah, you haven't even heard me freestyle. Really? You you do
1: hip hop uh, oh, freestyle? Okay, yeah. I actually want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. All right, Morgan, lay down a beat. <sighs> Racial slur right away. Well, yeah, that's like, hip hop. You gotta no nope, lead. Str- that
2: that is not what hip hop means. No. Nope. 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 Not at all. Moving on. In our lead story tonight, American atheists severed their ties with David Silverman last week after receiving multiple reports accusing him of sexual abuse. Silverman, perhaps best known for his Tides Come In, Tides Go Out inspired What the Fuck meme, has served as the organization's president since 2010, but was abruptly suspended on Tuesday with a notice from the organization that was frustratingly vague for those of us who cover Atheist News for a living and have to get a show out by Thursday morning. (laughs) I spent my Wednesday going, please be fraud,
1: please be fraud, please be fraud, fraud. maybe murder, please be fraud. Okay, well, uh,
2: good news? Yeah, Partially. (laughs) All right. And to be honest, the, the frustratingly vague thing continued on through Friday morning uh, when they announced that Silverman had been fired. The official notice from American Atheists didn't offer up any details other than to say that there had been, quote, allegations raised regarding Mr. Silverman's conduct, end quote. Uh, BuzzFeed, on the other hand, was happy to supply the details an hour or so later. In their article, they detailed two accusations of horrific sexual misconduct and also alluded to undisclosed conflicts of interest and, quote, the appointment to a senior position of a woman with whom he was having a sexual relationship, end quote.
1: OK, Uh are we still talking about Silverman? Really hard to tell which conservative president we're talking about <laughs> at this point.
2: Him and Trump should do a PSA just like I learned it by watching you. Yeah, right. Uh, Now, I should note that Silverman has denied any wrongdoing, and his lawyers claim that both of the encounters detailed in the BuzzFeed article were consensual. Uh, His lawyer then undercut his credibility by pointlessly adding that Silverman was in an open marriage at the time, as though... The adultery part would be the bit that's stuck in our craw. Yeah, we cannot
1: be clear enough as a show. We are dismayed and disgusted by polyamory here at the Skating atheist. We will not stand for it. We will uh, no not votes. stand. No, no votes. Votes. Just be yes. clear. Just be clear about the sitch. Maybe a laminated flow chart
2: that you hand out.
1: Make it clear to everybody what's happening.
2: We don't all get it. Now, I've already seen several people online rushing to Silverman's defense and trying to pre-exonerate him by painting this as uh, like an overzealous witch hunt or painting BuzzFeed as a supermarket tabloid. And I want to remind those people that they haven't seen all the evidence, right? Like Like the board, they weren't making the decision based on a BuzzFeed article. They saw all the evidence and it apparently includes multiple accusations, photographs of bruises and injuries, multiple witness accounts from people told about the incidents immediately afterwards and accusers that they clearly found credible. And upon seeing all that, they unanimously decided to terminate one of the most high profile and PR savvy atheists in the country. That doesn't necessarily make them right, but it does make you wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And and (laughs) I
1: want to add that like, In the lights of events like this and information that came up about Lawrence Krauss this year, I know a lot of you, especially women, feel less safe in the movement, feel less welcome in atheism as a result. And if we haven't been incredibly clear already, you have a place in this movement, even if it's just right here with us. You're here. And in no you transition away from that news tonight. (laughs) Fucking virtue signaling. Next. (laughs) Next. (laughs) (laughs) After last month's claim by an Italian journalist that Pope Francis on your ovaries told him that hell isn't real, the Vatican released a pamphlet this week clarifying that they do, too, believe in a fallen angel goat demon who makes you unable to find a parking space and rape people. Okay. Well, if that's the devil, I feel like he's a good guy. I mean... Rapists can't find parking and they miss their appointments. We want that, right? Like, it's a weird technique, but still, that's that's good. I
2: I feel like you're misunderstanding the order of operations here. I feel like Eli was implying that you'd get so frustrated by the inability to find a parking space that you would rape somebody, right? Oh,
1: Eli speaks in the distributive property? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got it. This is why you got to give the president his own parking space. You (laughs) learn. You learn. (laughs) Anyway... The apostolic exhortation titled Guadate Exculaste. No, Rejo- not even close. Something <laughs> like that. It's an Italian. It's in Italian. It's an Italian. That's not Who even knows. the letters, though. Nope. Rejoice and be glad is what it translates to. Like I said, it makes it clear that the devil <laughs> is super real, y'all, saying, quote, we should not think of the devil as a myth a representation, a symbol, a figure of speech, or an idea. This mistake would lead us to let down our guard, to grow careless, and end up more vulnerable, end quote. Because apparently the devil is like the Doctor Who weeping angels. You got to keep an eye on him, and he's harmless. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And just to be clear, this pamphlet, it's a 20,000-word opus with 125 cited sources. It has a bibliography. All for the purpose of refuting the journalist who caught the Pope like breaking character of Mickey Mouse smoking a cigarette (laughs) behind the palace of Disney. It's a doctoral thesis just to say fake news. Like, you might as well have a chapter about how Hillary is a serial killer. (laughs) Right, but that's not all. The Pope, with the nope, also added a shot at (laughs) all who might deny Satan or... Being a big old fibber and tell everyone what he said at that super best friend sleepover saying, quote, (laughs) even in the Catholic media, limits can be overstepped. Defamation and slander can become commonplace and all ethical standards and respect for the good name of others can be abandoned. It is striking that at times in claiming to uphold the other commandments, they completely ignore the eighth, which forbids bearing false witness or lying and ruthlessly vilifying others. End quote.
2: Not adding, you big tattletale, go (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So for whatever it's worth, the conservatives freaked out on him for implying hell was a fiction, so he released a thing saying, no, the devil's totally real, because there's no way you guys could be such assholes without the help of a goat demon. So begrudging point for Frankie, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next up in headlines. In misdemeanor Cleo news, a self-proclaimed psychic from Center Township, Pennsylvania... Was charged with a crime called illegal fortune telling last week. Mm. Apparently, that's a thing that exists here in Pennsylvania. Although it's unclear what legal fortune telling looks like, or what the fuck that would even mean. Um, wait, sorry, never mind. It's called religion. Yeah. So I guess the illegal part was lying for money while not being a church. The fraud has to be sincerely held. <laughs> there in you go. Yeah.
2: In the year 2024, all lying without being a church is forbidden. <laughs> all right, this has me worried because I live in Pennsylvania, and it, at some point, I feel like bravado becomes illegal, right? Like, how certain do I have to be that Pittsburgh won't make it out of the first round before I've become a criminal? <laughs> they're not going to fuck Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, according
1: to the police, Sophie M. Mills... Has a business called Psychic and Tarot Readings by Sophia. And she's guilty of fraud. Unlike some other group of psychics who provide real prophecies. It's really hard to tell. The fuck no, no I get it. Because her name is Sophie.
2: For It's <laughs> Sophia's bullshit.
1: <laughs> well, regardless, the scam she's been running is absurd. And I get the feeling it also might be like a long form improv act. <laughs> Apparently she'd tell people to start filling a jar with $100 bills and also put an egg wrapped in a t-shirt in there too. And then she'd break the egg and tell the people to run away because of evil spirits. And they'd do that. They'd (laughs) run away. And if they asked to get back their jar of cash, she'd say there was too much evil energy still flying around to return it safely. (laughs) (laughs) In other news, local banks report a crazy influx of yoki money.
2: More at 11. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not blaming the victim is what I'm not doing. <laughs> okay, I am. So
1: the police decided to set up a sting and send an undercover state trooper to investigate to, to check if the fortune telling was real. Yeah, Again, right. It's not at all clear what they're planning to verify, but the female officer posing as a client was told by the psychic that she was a pedophile rapist in a past life and needed to buy eight candles for a hundred dollars each to get square <laughs> about being the, the, about the... Yeah. <laughs> which which sounds pretty bad. Not actually blaming the but if we're being fair, whether or not this cop is in fact a reincarnated pedophile, the psychic is being way more helpful than the church on the pedophile.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And now that we've established that things more helpful than the church and things that aren't the church are the same list, we'll take a quick break and hand things over to my <laughs> lovely <laughs> wife, Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible? A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate rape. It makes a slut, right? Hey, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in
3: Misogyny.
0: So as I'm digging my way through a few of the recent international stories that I missed, my first thought was, huh, I'm going to have kind of a Good News segment this week. And my second thought was, oh my God, this is what passes for good news when you do what I do. Because after doing this for three years, you have to start calling slightly less bad good or you'll go fucking insane. So let's start off in India, where the government recently declared that there was no data to suggest that female genital mutilation was a problem in their country. And by itself, that would be great news, except that they were lying. See, just a few weeks after they made this claim, a small study indicated that something like 75% of women in the Bora Muslim community have undergone this horrific practice. And no, that's not some rural community that you can only get to with a bridge carrier and a jetpack. They're spread out all over the country, and the study was conducted in the heart of Mumbai. Nationwide, a UNICEF study estimated that some 200 million women in India are victims of FGM. So where's the good news? Well, there isn't any, but there might be. See, this bullshit about there not being any data to suggest FGM happens was being presented as a reason for the nation's Supreme Court not to ban the practice. And there are high hopes that these data compiled by the We Speak Out campaign, as well as a petition with over 100,000 signatories, will force them to rethink that excuse. And from there, yeah, that's all the good news you get in that one there. We're going to move over to Saudi Arabia, where we've been seeing a steady drip of women's rights over the last year. Women in the kingdom have recently won the right to drive, which is both a huge step and a potent reminder of how few steps they've actually taken. Well, and yet another reminder that if you give us ladies one right, we'll just come back for more. Women in Saudi Arabia are now tackling one of the most pernicious pieces of national misogyny, the rule that basically says women are owned by men. Riding a wave of social media activism, Saudi women are now taking to Twitter in hopes of abolishing the system of the legal guardianship that gives men authority over their lives. And I'm mostly bringing this up because there's a lot of negative feelings about social media right now, and for good reasons. But it's worth tempering that with frequent reminders of all the good shit social media does. Twitter has been instrumental in women's rights advocacy all over the world, and perhaps nowhere has it been as effective as it has been in Saudi Arabia. Here's hoping hashtag abolish guardianship can serve as yet another example of that in the future. So yeah, that's as close to good news as we tend to get here. Two things that might happen, both of which should have happened a a century ago or so at least. And with that depressing admission, I'll hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli.
1: Thank you, Lucinda. And in I Feel Fine news tonight, Christian astrologer and end times prophecy enthusiast David Mead is back in the news this week because, (laughs) you guessed it, the rapture is coming.
2: This time on April
1: 23rd. uh, Wait.
2: Well, on the one hand, the death of all you love and care for. But on the other hand, that's a whole chapter of Case for Christ. We don't have to read. I'd call it a push.
1: (laughs) Now, regular listeners to the show will remember Mead for looking like the big boy mascot grew up to be a pedophile. But they'll also remember him from predicting the end of the world last year on September 23rd and then on October 23rd. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And then then on November 23rd, (laughs) was it the 23rd? (laughs) (laughs) yeah. At which point we all should have realized he was actually a poorly timed viral marketing campaign for that Jim Carrey movie and stopped listening to him, but apparently we didn't. (laughs) And I think we can all agree that it would not at all be funny for somebody to sneak into David Mead's house the night before kidnap his child and put a little oh, pile Jesus of clothes Christ. on the floor not funny <laughs> is what we're
2: saying i am not
1: officially offering ten thousand heath points no, if you do that no nope. you're not none of although, those things i said although
2: i will say i'm pretty sure leaving some laundry behind a running lawnmower in his neighbor's yard that morning would be legal
1: okay, well i'm pretty sure both are legal so no, no i don't think so Nope. No. that's just my advice my legal advice on this podcast <laughs> do not take <laughs> that, that you yes, should sure. take take it not nope, joke. I'm just going to throw very in the note serious. myself. Nope, very serious. <laughs> <laughs> However, craziness aside, that didn't stop the Daily Express in the UK and Fox News from reporting on the story both years, <laughs> last year and this year, which leads us to a much more terrifying conclusion. <laughs> we are running out of
2: news, people. Yeah, it's right? This stuff happened. <laughs> I'll tell you huh? what. Anytime you want a good laugh, do a quick switch from CNN to MSNBC to Fox, right? It's like the president is actively mouth raping a goat. The president is actively mouth raping a goat. What's the deal with this airline food? (laughs) (laughs) And in climbing the corporate Latter-day Saints news tonight, Mormonism continues to live up to its reputation as a progressive, diverse religion this week after the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles welcomed its first non-white members ever. narrowly edged out by the U.S. Congress by a scant century and a half, this move is being hailed as a signal of the religion's growth into a diverse global faith by people who nonetheless expect me to take them seriously afterwards. (laughs) Hey, look, we made a door for them. (laughs) Now they can get in. (laughs) You're
1: welcome, coloreds. We got waked. (laughs) Awake. Whoa! Uh, it's weird though. People keep ordering coffee and tea from them when they walk in the room. It's <laughs> no, embarrassing, no. is what it is. No. Embarrassing.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, okay, they started this thing in 1835. 114 people have served on it so far. All of them crusty old white dudes. But that's about to change with an addition of off-white because the, the guys in question are Garrett Gong, a second-generation Chinese-American immigrant, and Ulysses Sora a native Brazilian. And even that a, a partially Chinese dude and a Brazilian is an unprecedented amount of diversity. <laughs>
1: yeah, we had a binder full of coloreds. Binder. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh, it's just like, sir, whisper, whisper, whisper. Sorry, sorry, correction, we have a folder full of yeah. coloreds. <laughs> folder is Tooth the word. Pocket.
2: <laughs> <laughs> of course, it goes without saying that no women have ever served on the Latter-day Saints' highest governing body, or any of its governing bodies, really. And, and they still haven't let in anybody whose skin tone wouldn't match some shade of the Colgate whiteness scale. But when you're standing at the bottom, every step is a move up. So go LDS. <laughs> and finally tonight, we have a
1: very important story about how Satan almost lured the savior of humanity into joining the dark side when that savior was still a kid. That's right. The world almost had InfoWars taken away from us <laughs> before it was even created. And we got to hear the whole epic story last week during a special uh emergency episode yeah. of InfoWars, whatever the fuck that means. Alex Jones finished wet coughing ethnic slurs at a high school football referee (laughs) and explained how he's been getting seduced into having sex with hundreds of beautiful, wealthy, head cheerleader prom queens since he was 13 years old. And all of them tried to convert him to Satanism. Oh, of course. Yes. You don't know them. Uh, They're from hell. <laughs> it was the karate poses that did it. All the ladies like karate poses. They do,
2: they do, they do. Heath, don't forget that at the next conference. They do like karate the karate poses. poses. Not enough karate poses. Just write
1: it down. It okay. wasn't the twelve scotches. It was the not enough karate poses.
2: <laughs> it's
1: a blend. So according <laughs> the scotch, according yep, according to Alex Jones. Uh, well, almost quote. I'm going to paraphrase here, but seriously, almost quote. I was a freshman in high school and all these super hot senior girls would drive me out to their fuck mansions with helicopter pads on the roof and private jets parked out front and their vaginas were made out of pure diamonds, (laughs) but uh, but like, but like wet and and slippery, (laughs) whatever adjectives you think vaginas are. You ever fuck a bowl of river stones? It was like that, but for, for billionaires. Anyway, I'd fuck them into a coma. And then they'd wake up and they'd say, wow, you just gave me my first 20 vaginal orgasms. Amazing. (laughs) Speaking of which, Lucifer is God. Please come to a secret Lucifer meeting with me. He's thinking of starting a podcast and almost quote (laughs) okay that is ridiculous i mean why would they have a helicopter pad and a private why why
2: why wouldn't you no honestly here's how close that is to a quote the only significant thing you left out is the part where he bragged about how expensive the girls cars were (laughs) yep (laughs) and
1: uh in a different quote he claimed to have sex with i believe 150 women before he was 16 yep that's a claim he has also made. Anyway. <laughs> like a raped Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah. Like Wilt Chamberlain was like, I got raped by 10,000 women. <laughs> no, you didn't. But also, nope. are you okay? Are you, that's a lot What's of going questions. going on, man? A lot of questions. We'll get back to it. Okay. Now, uh, Alex Jones also added, exact quote, they knew, the satanic fuck minions, they yeah. knew interdimensionally, because, believe me, what? they weren't trying to get the average person to go do that. Everybody thought, like, why are you dating the head cheerleader or the head senior? Not a thing.
2: Not There's a
1: thing. No, Not a head no, senior? No. What the fuck are you talking <laughs> Why are you dating the head cheerleader or the head senior when you're a freshman in high school? <laughs> and exact quote. When asked why nobody in this high school remembers anything about this, Jones pointed out that it was Always a few towns over at camp in Canada. Nope, Texas. Canada, Texas. Look at my nipples. Shirts <laughs> off. Right.
2: Buy these drugs. <laughs> well, you know what they say about men in their mid-40s that spent significant amounts of time desperately insisting they had a lot of sex with girls in high school. They had a lot of sex with girls in high school, obviously. Otherwise... Why would they Wow, mean. <laughs> Heath, you do not have to take that from him just for the record.
1: Okay, like, joke's a joke, but we do not attack each other here on this show. I am sorry. Thank you. For you. Thank you. Kind of hurt. As a I'm just going to push past it. I'm going to push past it. You want to drink some more? I would like to hold on. I'm going to have a little bit more of drink. I have only had eight drinks tonight. That's not true. Oh. <laughs> 12 drinks tonight. Shut up. And in case you're wondering how this all fits into God's plan to defeat Satan, don't worry. Alex Jones does address that. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. So, um, you know how <laughs> globalism, Bohemian Grove, Christian internment camps, Jade Helm 15, eugenics and nuclear war are all connected? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess he was really asking because that was the end
2: of the segment. <laughs> yes! <laughs> He's finished. And now that we can rest assured that Alex Jones has indeed been bare naked with a lady, I suppose we can close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. I had lots of sex with girls in high school. And when we come back, Chris Matheson will be here to make us seem less masochistic by comparison. Why did I let you drag me here, dude? Come on, Noah. This is Lemu. I still don't understand why I have to wear this little hat. Okay, it's a dining
1: bonnet, and you're lucky I had a spare. If you come in without one, they shoot you for trespassing. Good evening, gentlemen. Welcome to Lemoo. Fragrance? Uh, yes, please. What? Oh, God, what is that? (laughs) Today's fragrance, sir, smoke and ham hock. Oh, that was terrible. Okay. Okay, perhaps the gentleman would prefer butter and horns.
2: Oh, God, that's worse somehow. <laughs> Look, I just want some fresh home-cooked food, and, and Eli says that if I can Ah, I-
1: ah okay, okay. Uh, then perhaps the gentleman would like to try a blue apron. What's blue apron? Blue apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes right to your door. that can be cooked in under 45 minutes. The menu changes every week based on what's in season and is designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team.
2: Wow, that sounds amazing. And, and what do you guys have?
1: Oh, well, we have a coconut-infused rake that we will slap you with. Oh,
2: my God. The rake is back in season.
1: Yes, sir, it is. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting the rake. I'm totally getting the rake choice.
2: I don't want the rake.
1: Okay. Well, for six weeks, from April 16th through May 21st, Blue Apron is teaming up with Airbnb to bring you the best home cooking from around the world. Each week, our menu will feature a recipe delivered in collaboration with an Airbnb experiences host like CeCe a chef from Shanghai who makes incredible Kung Pao chicken, a beloved, sticky, saucy mix of crispy brown chicken and vegetables. Yeah, it's really amazing. Wait, Eli, you can eat Blue Apron? Oh, yeah. Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week, and customers can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what best fits their schedule. Oh, awesome. How do I sign up? Well, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash scathing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. Are you gentlemen ready for the vapor course? Yes. No. Vapor. (laughs) Spray it right in your face.
2: In a lot of ways, the seeds of my atheism were first laid by Douglas Adams when he asked, just who is this God person anyway? Because let's be honest, that's the only thing you have to ask before the whole precept starts to fall apart. But that didn't stop my guest this week from making a good faith effort to answer that question. Chris Matheson is a novelist and a screenwriter best known as the co-writer of the 1989 masterpiece Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and perhaps just as well known in atheist circles as the author of The Story of God, a biblical comedy about love and hate in which he reexamines the biblical narrative through the eyes of that psychotic, misogynistic, homophobe at its heart. In the upcoming sequel, The Trouble with God, a divine comedy about judgment and misjudgment, he broadens the scope and draws not only from the Bible, but also from the Quran, the Book of Mormon, Dianetics, and a wide swath of philosophical writings about God as well. Chris, welcome back to The Scathing Atheist.
3: Hello. It's good to be back.
2: Uh, It's great to have you back, man. Now, I didn't emphasize this enough in the intro, so let me just say the new book uh, one of the perks of my job is I get these things before they're available to other people sometimes, and it's fucking hilarious. It, it was laugh out loud uh, funny from start to finish, so congratulations. Another great job there. Thank you, man. That's great to hear. All right, so I got to ask you. You went through the entire Bible for the first one. You you weaved a narrative through all of that, and then after you were done with that, you went back for more. Is it like a Fifty <laughs> Shades of God thing, or, or did you feel like that you had left something unsaid in the first book?
3: It's kind, it seems kind of masochistic, doesn't it? That it does. <laughs> I finished up and I thought, in some strange way, I just love this character. I just love him. He's so strange. He's so warped. He's so kind of pathetic and bombastic. And he's, he's, I just thought he was a tremendous comedy character. And I thought, um, I'd like to keep going with this guy. I wonder if there's a way I could do that and then the obvious answer occurred to me which is well of course i can because there's more books where the exact same character shows up and i'm gonna i'm gonna dig into those and see whether he's as funny in those books as he is in the bible and i thought he was and in some ways in context maybe even more so because as it goes along as as his big plans continue to really not work, yeah, his behavior gets more and more um, irrational and, and strange and um, self-destructive even. So yeah, so I thought I'm just going to, I'm going to just keep falling following this guy all the way i even followed him into a, a rather obscure book called the, the book of urantia i don't know if you've ever read it or heard of it i've I've, it, I've
2: heard of it i've, I've, I've what is it like nine thousand pages long or something <laughs> it is about nine thousand. it's about yeah it's really really long it's
3: really dull it's it's very very bad it's ostensibly the bible written by very superior space aliens and uh, but there's god and there's jesus and they show up again And I loved it. Um, It's horrible. It's a horrible book, but it's. I thought it was. I thought it was. I just. I'll follow this guy wherever he goes. He's he's just a tremendously riveting character from
2: my standpoint. All right. So, is there like a process for you? Like, how do you get in God's head? There or
3: (laughs) how do you get in God's head? I go through the books and I look for things that strike me as ridiculous. That's what I do first. That's the comedy writer part of me, right? I go through and I just kind of mark everything that seems really stupid really wrong really overblown and kind of laughable and and then and then after i've done that i try to pull back and find a way that i can stitch it together like okay if all of these things are true right because we're being told that all of these things are true and not just true like small you know little t true but Mm -hmm. but capital T true, like they're really, really true. So if all these things are true, who does this guy have to be in order for all of these ridiculous things to be true? So then that that's kind of the second stage is trying to create a, a narrative for this guy that makes any sense at all. And, it, and that's the challenging part is trying to um, find a, a, a way of looking at it that that makes sense but usually what i what i just fall back to is he's really self-hating he's he this is a very very self-hating character who doesn't want things to succeed and that's why things don't succeed
2: i i think that's the only way to get it And i don't want to i don't want to spoil any of the uh Surprises in the book, but the ways in which you manage to make the narrative because, like, the Bible is contradictory enough just by itself. But then you start <laughs> yeah. throwing in like the the Quran, where it directly denies the divinity of Jesus, which is the whole point of the last one. And then you move on to the Book of Mormon, where once again Jesus is divine. Like some of the decisions that you made were insanely clever. It, it, because as soon as I saw what you were doing, you know I see the glossary up front. I see which books you're 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 trying to weave together, and those questions start occurring to me, especially because included among them was Dianetics. Um, so how did <laughs> how did that one get tacked? Because I see the other ones, all sort of the Abrahamic faiths in a row there, but how did you decide on Dianetics as well?
3: Well, I wanted to do something contemporary. Mm-hmm. And that's why I went I went to Urantia first. And I, I spent a good chunk of time on the on reading that 9,000 page book and making notes on it and doing the exact same thing. I have chapters about Urantia. And then I reached a point and I thought, Nobody knows the Book of Urantia. It's just too obscure. It's too, it's it's way, way too esoteric. And I wanna I wanna have him, I wanna connect the dots with this guy as close to the present day as possible. So I thought, well, what what's the most important religious movement of the 20th century? And I think I'm I mean, I think Scientology would be a candidate. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that would be the one, but I, I think it would be a candidate. And then so I started reading Dianetics and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It's again, it's insane, and God would love Elrond Hubbard. God, God would. They're such kindred spirits, you know. That that I thought, okay, well, he's not specifically a character in this book, but this book would explain, from God's standpoint, why are humans so fucking impossible? (laughs) Why does it never work? Why does his big plan never work? And you know, Elrond Hubbard comes up with the big answer yeah so so he digs it until he doesn't and i have god getting kind of excited for a while thinking that he's a clear like he really loves the idea that he's a clear but then he realizes before too long of course that he's not a clear he's the least clear um being imaginable and then he gets really mad and hates he always you know kind of ends up hating in my version of things he kind of always ends up turning on everything he's done and and disliking it,
2: yeah. I mean, that's sort of the biblical version of him as well. I think that's a fair characterization. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, another challenge that I can imagine hits you not just with Dianetics, but with the Quran as well is that you know these are books that lack narrative. You know, Quran the Quran has a <laughs> bit of narrative, but it's mostly just Muhammad going. Did I ever tell you about that time? About did I ever tell you about Moses? You know, it's just over and over again. Uh, so can you speak to sort of the, some some of the challenges of finding a narrative thread even in the books that are supposed to have one?
3: Well, you know, the Book of Mormon does have a, the Book of Mormon is is an alternate narrative. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all narrative; it's a whole other story. It's 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 end, it's a very boring narrative. It's 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 a not a good, well told story, but it is a big narrative. The Koran, as you say, is not a narrative. Um, the Koran is just kind of a big scold. For like 300 pages. <laughs> yes. Basically you better believe or you're going to get punished. You better believe, believe you better submit or you're going to pay. I mean that's kind of the gist of it. However, there are a couple of things. He is God takes the I mean it, it does seem to me that the big move is like yeah, Jesus was not his son. That that's kind of the big the big move. Um although Jesus has really strange magical powers for just a normal human baby. Right. But while he's talking to Muhammad about these things, he he takes the opportunity to correct, presumably, the previous wrong versions of all the Old Testament stories. Um, well, all the stories. You know, he 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 corrects what happened at the beginning. He corrects what happened with um, Adam and Eve, and and with um, Moses, and with Abraham, and. It's really ballsy. It's like, no, 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 That's not what happened. Let me tell you what really happened. And his versions, Muhammad's versions of things, or I guess we're supposed to take it as like God's actual truth-telling to Muhammad. For whatever reason, he didn't tell the Jews the truth, but he does tell Muhammad the truth. And the, the versions of the stories are just ridiculous and they're just ludicrous and they're great. So there's some little like mini narratives in terms of the correction. And then the big move he does make um is 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 like heaven paradise that's really different that's that's a different kind of version of the narrative he takes what we know about heaven from the new testament because we don't know anything about heaven from the old testament right. right? it's not even mentioned. but he takes what we learn about heaven in the new testament which is that it's just kind of new jerusalem and all you do is you pray that's all you do you pray it, it sounds like hell, actually. Um, and he he takes it and he says, no, 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 that's not what it is. You lounge around on couches wearing a lot of jewelry and drinking non non-alcoholic wine and the biggest move of all having as much sex as you want. that's that that ends up being his his big move. So that's kind of a narrative thing too. but yes, there's an awful lot of scolding.
2: Yeah. Now, would you say of the of the five books here, so Old Testament, New Testament, Quran, uh, Book of Mormon, Dianetics, which would you say was the worst read?
3: <laughs> well, okay, let's see. Going from best to worst, I think it's fair to say that they get worse and worse. I think that's right. I think the Old Testament actually has some beautiful things in it, mm-hmm. like Ecclesiastes and, and – uh, you know, there's some really, there's some some kind of beautiful and the and and Job, which is crazy but kind of great, mm-hmm. and the New Testament has does have you know some some kind of beautiful things, and then and then the Quran is is worse because um, it's really strident and it's really angry, and there's not a variety of writers, it's just him. You just get one voice, right? And he's not very and he's not a very interesting writer, and um and then the and then the Book of Mormon is 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 atrocious. It's, it's absolutely awful. It's, 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 it's jaw-droppingly awful. And then Dianetics is, you know what? Okay. Book of Mormon's the worst. <laughs> That's a long way. Book of Mormon's is the worst. Book of Mormon is worse than Dianetics because L. Ron Hubbard can write a little bit. I mean, not much but he can write a little
2: bit. Right, but at the very least, like he has, you don't have to suffer through things like, you know, and with the death, did they die to death, you know, that that Joseph Smith (laughs) makes you go through. I swear, I've never wished I was illiterate before, but about midway through them, vines being grafted and replanted in the Book of Mormon, if if I was cursing Sesame Street for teaching me those ABCs to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, he's awful.
3: He's absolutely awful. I've had Mormons say to me in the past, like, well, what are you suggesting that Joseph Smith just made it up himself? I'm like, um, yeah, <laughs> obviously it's horrible. Well, and as horrible he went along, writer.
2: I mean, he wasn't even working off an outline or anything. Yeah, no, he's no, he's just making
3: it up. And so he just circles around and he just ends. It, it's a really like as a piece of writing, it's a horribly structured story. There's no good character work. Every time he runs out of gas, he just runs back. To the Bible and just kind of cribs off it directly for a while. Now, the Book of Mormon is, is, is absolutely, absolutely awful. But um, I will say, weirdly, there is a very strange psychodrama kind of at the center of the Book of Mormon where the Antichrist shows up. And he really has his say. I mean, he really more or less denounces the entire thing right at the center, near the center of the book. This character named Corey Horror shows up and he really just lays into everything he, and, and for page after page after page. And it's really kind of fascinating that Joseph Smith allows that to happen. I, I, I don't I can't quite understand it, but it's great. And of course he gets he gets you know punished and destroyed but but he has his say for about three four or five pages I think
2: yeah you really drew a circle around that in the book and as I'm reading that because you know in the in the Quran you get apologetics and I put air quotes around those you know like oh yeah well if it's not for Muhammad then how does that rain get up there in the sky and you know how, who put the mountains there to stop the earthquakes and stuff like that but there is that one point where like he presents all of these pretty solid arguments against not just Mormonism but god and christ belief in the first place and then the like the comeback to that is oh can you prove there's no jesus (laughs) and and you just kind of wonder how the hell did that not get excised from the book
3: i know there's a in all of these books there are those moments though where you think what the hell is this doing in here and Mm -hmm. those are beautiful moments those are just from from an atheist standpoint Oh my God, those moments are just so delightful because they undermine their own book. It, like a, one of my favorite ones is, it's, I just think it's magnificent. At the very end of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and Jeremiah's just been going off, man. He's been going off for you know a hundred pages straight, just like they're going to pay, they're going to pay because Jerusalem's going to fall, and they're going to the Babylon, they're they're going to pay. Nebuchadnezzar's going to. It's it's brutal. I'm going to do it because because and God's just making threats, just crazy bombastic threats. I'm going to I'm going to punish everybody, it's going to happen. It's just about to happen. It's just about to happen. And then the final chapter of Jeremiah is like a police report. It's like a pol- it's yeah. like it, it's like none of this happened. Jeremiah was <laughs> killed. Jerusalem fell. It's just like
2: what the hell is that doing in there? Oh my god. It's fantastic. As my co-host Eli is fond of saying, it's your book, right? You can put in there whatever. You don't have to put this part in. Yeah, exactly. What on earth did you leave this in your book for? You know, like maybe Christ was psychotic when he when date trees wouldn't, you know, bend to his will. But we don't have to hear about that.
3: I, that that crazy little thing, which makes no sense. Like, okay. He really is kind of a strange, strange cat, isn't he? Like, (laughs) that doesn't make sense, Master. Those trees are out of season. Why are
2: you cursing them? Well, and one of the things, too, that I love is that so much of that is brought out in the book. I just imagine, you know, I can't imagine this book's going to be super popular with evangelical Christians. (laughs) You don't think so? Well, you know, I don't want to, like, it's not out yet. I don't want to, you know, pre-condemn them here. They're pretty Uh, (laughs) open-minded. They are. Yeah, famous for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I can just imagine, like the the evangelicals, because like, I went to high school in in South Georgia, surrounded by Southern Baptists, and I can just imagine some of the imagery in the book and them going, "Well, that's not in the Bible, is it?" Yeah. You know the the the, the eyeball monsters of Revelation, the talking donkey, etc.
3: Yeah, it's all in there. It's it's their book. That's the thing. One of the things that I think is they're really going to have it. Uh, a very heavy burden. They have a heavy burden already, but I think the burden's going to get heavier in years to come cuz they've they they have to defend these books of theirs. And if you study these books at all, they're very hard to defend.
2: Yeah, I've I've always felt like, you know, as atheists just, you know, just on a, a purely logical perspective, we could probably win this argument even if their books were really really good. Yeah. You know, even if they really were filled with morals like they say they are, but boy do they make it easy on us.
3: Yeah, they do because the books are, are they're they're stupid and they're ugly and they're always like really, really pompous and gassy and overblown and because they're trying to cloak themselves and make themselves seem really important, but they're not. Yeah. And their observations are usually banal and obvious. There's never any real deep wisdom to them because it turns out there isn't any real deep wisdom to impart. It's all just kind of like obvious how humans are supposed to live. It's like people figured it out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So they're just inherently really
2: pretentious and fake. Yeah, well, like uh, how many times does uh, Muhammad stop to challenge you to find any one sentence in any book that's better than what he's written?
3: Yeah, no, I would say one of the joys of the Quran and the Quran is a is not a fun read for the most part. But if you from an atheist standpoint, he's. If he's trying really hard to hide himself, he's trying really hard to make it feel really lofty and really grand and make it seem like he has nothing to do with it. But if you read it carefully, it's just so obvious how self-serving it is, how much it's just all about him. It's all about serving his, his interests. He tries to hide it, but his fingerprints are all over it.
2: Well, sometimes he tries to. Another one that you draw a circle around in the book is like the part where suddenly God starts dictating like proper dinner manners when you're over at the prophet's house and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So, Yeah, it's great. There's times when you don't even have to read it that close to find those things. So, all right. So sort of a, as a larger question, is, is the point of this just to point and laugh at how silly these books are, or is there a larger message to this project?
3: Well in the short term yeah i think that they they have earned mockery mm-hmm. these people they deserve it they warrant it and it's something i feel i can do and i'm going to do it in a larger sense don't we all on our side believe that 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 their books that these belief systems are not good for the world i mean isn't that what we believe isn't that kind of the point of our position Um, We don't think these things are positives, net positives for the world. We think they're dangerous. We think they're destructive. Um, We think that they reduce possibility or shrink possibilities. And um, I think my sense of a better future for my children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, would be um, that these things start to shrink back, that their power, overwhelming power over human beings is lessened and if i can play some small role in that uh, by making people laugh at it because laughter is has a certain kind of power to it then i want to do that
2: that's well said man i've said for a long time the the cure for reverence is irreverence Right. And I know that the things that really did, like I said in the, in, the, in the intro, the things that really did start to sit play at the seeds of atheism for me were the comedy. You know, it was uh, it was Monty Python and it was Douglas Adams. and It was George Carlin telling me it's OK to, to, to laugh at this.
3: Yeah, I think in a way, if you engage them on their own terms and you have like an intellectual argument with them, they, they can always find some hand wavy way of defending their position. But if you just kind of laugh at it, well, I think it's pretty um, powerful medicine for for our side.
2: Amen to that, man. All right. So I've, you've been super generous with your time today. I've just got one last question for you, and it requires a little bit of setup. So apologies for that. Uh, we've got a segment on the show where we're working our way through Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. We couldn't stomach Dianetics. We When we got done with Book of Mormon, <laughs> we chased something totally different. So, um, But in that book, Strobel argues that the Bible has to be true because some of the characters in it are verifiable historical figures. So my question is, did Bill and Ted really happen, or is Lee Strobel full of shit?
3: <laughs> no, you know uh, Lee Strobel is completely correct. Bill and Ted <laughs> actually exist. It's more or less a documentary, and uh, yeah, damn it, awesome. you know, it, it's just a, it's a very. Br- brilliant arguments and uh irrefutable i think so there you go we lose
2: that's the question i was hoping for all right well once again i can't recommend chris's new book enough it's called the trouble with god a divine comedy about judgment and misjudgment it's out on may 15th you'll find a link on the show notes to pre-order your copy now and by the way you should do that chris thanks again for joining me today my pleasure thanks man And now, for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Chris Matheson's upcoming novel, The Trouble with God. Around 500 B.C., a man named Sherem had showed up in North America and started to say truly appalling things. You are worshipping a man who won't even live for nearly 500 years, he had said, referring to Jesus. Or, that is, a man who you claim will live in 500 years, because the truth is you can't possibly know that. Show me some proof, Sharem had demanded of the Nephites, and God had whispered angrily to himself, oh, I'll show you some proof, all right, Sharem. Not long afterwards, Sharem had toppled to the ground and been unable to get up. He'd been kept alive by a sort of ancient feeding tube for a few days, and in that time he had renounced everything wicked he'd said and divulged that he'd been tricked by Satan. Knew it, God had thought. Then Sharem had died. Now that's how you deal with doubters, God had crowed to his angels afterwards. Make them fall down, keep them alive through force feeding for a few days, have them denounce themselves, then kill them. Gorgeous. One thing that had frankly confused God about the story of Sharem had been the ending, however. As Jacob was wrapping up the chapter, he had closed with the word adieu, which had made no sense, obviously, because this is the year 500 BC in North America, so why the hell is Jacob speaking French? Sometimes things happen in my books which make them seem laughably fraudulent, God had noted at the time. And that's strange because they are not laughably fraudulent. Obviously, they are absolutely true. But still, I do? Sherem's demise, sadly, hadn't put an end to doubt. Around 100 B.C., a man named Nihor had showed up and started saying even worse things than Sherem had. Don't be scared, Nihor had told people. Lift up your heads and rejoice. God created and will redeem all men. In the end, we will all live forever. Bullshit, God it instantly shouted. That is complete bullshit. Yes, I created all men and yes, they will all live forever. But guess what, knee Most of them are going to live forever in hell. I don't want humans lifting their heads. I want them to keep their heads down. And I definitely want them to stop rejoicing because I hate rejoicing almost as much as I hate singing and dancing. Give Nihor a super humiliating death! God had yelled down, and his people had done exactly that, impaling Nihor, then letting horses stomp on him and dogs eat him and poop him out. So, that had been satisfying. (laughs) Before we get to leaving on a jet plane this week, I wanted to congratulate friends of the show Tom of the Cognitive Dissonance podcast and his soon-to-be wife Haley on their upcoming nuptials this weekend. The whole team is flying out to Chicago to share in their special day. And just for Tom, I promise to make sure Eli has clothes on and not the wrestling outfit. Congratulations, guys! Anyway, that's all the blasting we've got for you tonight. But we'll be back in ten thousand twenty-two minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show's Hot Friend Got Off on debuting at seven a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and an even newer episode of our half-sister show Citation Needed debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously. I'd be no more able to look myself in a mirror than Dracula if I neglected to thank Heath Enroy for never failing to succeed. I need to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Lucians for never backing down or fronting up. I need to thank the lovely in his own way Eli Bosnick for never failing to overcome though there's plenty of things I don't want to thank him for overcoming on. I also want to thank Crazy Zach from the Crazy Zach YouTube channel for providing this week's Farnsworth quote as well as a very heartfelt email along with it. Thanks for both of them. Obviously we'll include a link to his channel in the show notes otherwise you'd have to remember how to spell it. Also one more thanks to Chris Matheson. I have a lot of authors on this show but I use the term fucking hilarious selectively, and his new book is fucking hilarious. Again, check the show notes for links to pre-order your copy. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most formidable fornicators, Dippin' Dot, Jack, Alistair, Jonathan, Heath is more than just puns, Damn it, Gabriella, Donna, Paul, Michael, Christopher, and Aaron. Dippin' Dot, Jack, Alistair, and Jonathan, whose cocks were doing deep field way before Hubble made it cool. Heath is more than just puns, Damn it, Gabriella and Donna, whose IQs are so high, John Boehner wants to legalize them now, and Paul, Michael, Christopher, and Aaron, who are perfectly endowed to star in a gender reversal NC-17 version of Rapunzel together, these ten tenacious tenants of tendention tented us with tensility and tended our tenure of turning up the tension on the tendrils of tenuous tenants towards tenability this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the money to give us money, but if you've got money, we'll take it. You can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash Atheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have Questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scalingadius.com
1: Breathe through my teeth because my fucking heart is broken, everybody. So I breathe through my fucking teeth.
2: You all wanna buy me a new
1: heart? Assholes.
2: The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm LLC, copyright 2018, all rights reserved.